Two more uh, messages in Titus this week and next, and then we, uh, then we get going on Habakkuk for eight weeks. By the way, I know that they would appreciate it if you all could remember Marsha and my wife Lisa in your prayers this weekend. They'll be speaking at a women's conference up in Payson this weekend. So I know they would appreciate your prayers as they're up there speaking. Went good. Yeah, the, my uh, time at Basha here on Thursday was, uh, was very good. It was nice to look back and have the Filardi girls there. Some familiar faces. But uh, it was good. I, en- I enjoyed it very, very much. So tonight we want to talk about living under God's authority. We're going to talk about the exhortation to live under God's authority, the motivation to live under God's authority, the means of living under God's authority, and the realization of living under God's authority. And we get that at the end of chapter 2, where in verse 15... Paul reminds Titus, I want you to communicate these things with the sort of exhortation or rebuke that carries the full authority. Don't let anyone look down on you. Paul does not want the person of God to rest lightly or inconsequentially upon the church. He wants the presence of God, the word of God, the person of God to, in a sense, weigh heavy. Not in a burdensome way, but in a way where his words and his personhood and his presence has force and weight to their lives. That they, they give him authority. In fact, he should be the authority of our lives, both as the church and as individual followers of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, so we should obviously acknowledge him and recognize him as such. Now remember, this letter, though, was written to Titus, a man who was uh, establishing leadership in all of these local churches over the Isle of Crete. Now Crete was at this point in history under the control of the Roman Empire, like, like a lot was in that time in history. And there were many who obviously fought against it, resisted it, Uh, And all of that, just like there were in other places of the Roman Empire. And yet Paul comes along and he says, Now, I want the followers of Jesus Christ on the Isle of Crete to wear the word of God well in their life. Meaning that he wants them to live in such a way that their lives demonstrate and give evidence to the power and working of God in them. He wants us as Christians to live attractive and appealing and compelling lives, especially towards those outside of the church, those unbelievers. And that's where Paul really concentrates tonight. And that's why he is asking us to let the Word of God and let the person of God have authority in our lives. Because it is in this way that we will truly make a difference and make an impact positively on the world around us. And that is the theme of the book of Titus, chapter 2, really, and verse 10. In order to bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Or again, as another translation says, to adorn the doctrine of God. Again, it speaks of wearing the Word of God in our lives as Christians so well 
that we are attractive and appealing to those that don't know Christ. We are literally by our lives to draw them towards God. To make His Word honorable. To make His teaching, His message of honor to those that don't have a relationship with Him yet. Well, in order to do that, according to Paul here, he's telling Titus, Titus, you need to make sure that we teach all of the churches and all the leadership of the churches to make sure that we are always constantly encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ to live under God's authority. And here's something that I want to you know, say tonight to all of us, and, and I think it's sort of the principle that will sort of, in a sense, blanket the entire message. And why God wants us to live under His authority and learn to live under His authority. When you and I learn to live under God's authority, we will be equipped to live under any authority. Let me repeat that. When you and I learn to live under God's authority, we will then be equipped to live under any authority. I mean, throughout the Bible. Most of the stories in the Old and New Testament of Christians trying to, to witness and thrive were never in optimum situations. Even though it seems today that Christians, we, we, want, we want an optimum situation in our country to be a Christian. We want an optimum situation in the world. We want, we want an easy God for us to be Christians and for us to be able to live the Christian life. And yet throughout the Bible, you see where people were enabled to be great witnesses for, for God in spite of the circumstances and the situation they were in. Take Joseph all the way back in the book of Genesis and his witness to Pharaoh. Take Daniel, who was under Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, you go throughout, and then you come to the New Testament with the Roman Empire and all that. Christians, for the most part, never had godly leadership above them that they were navigating in. The authorities above them usually were pagan, or at the very least, were not very godly. And yet God expected His people to navigate that. How do we do that? By living under God's authority, first and foremost. How can we as husbands live under the authority of Christ? You see, and be the husbands and fathers that we need to be. How can wives live under the authority of their husbands if they're married? Only by living under the authority of Christ first. How can children live under the authority of their parents only by submitting to the authority of Christ first. You see, throughout, how can employees live under the authority of their employers only by living under the authority of Christ first? Throughout the Bible, all of us are living under some kind of authority. And it's not always godly authority. Most of the time, it's not. And yet God says, here's how you and I will be able to live under any authority. By learning to submit to my authority. Knowing that ultimately you are submitting to me. You are honoring me. You are doing things my way. 
And when you do that, and I put you in these less than, less than optimum situations, you will be able to thrive spiritually, and you will be able to live an attractive, appealing, compelling life, even to unbelievers who are around you. You will be a great and strong and effective witness for me. So notice, first of all, then, in chapter 3 of Titus, we see the exhortation to live under God's authority. And in these two verses, first of all, Paul is sharing with Titus seven civic duties, if you will. Seven sort of graces that should, that should be in our lives as Christians relating to civic leaders and to people in general that we do life with. And I think in the context here, he's especially speaking about those that don't know God. And notice the first thing he says, remind them. In other words, Paul is starting out by saying, these Christians on the Isle of Crete already know these things. Which also reminds us that there was a systematic teaching of things that that Christians in the early days that were part of local churches were sort of supposed to know. And and it was sort of common knowledge amongst all churches so that if you went into this church or that church, you could sort of assume these Christians know these basic things. Can I tell you, we can't assume that today. You go from one church to another, you cannot assume that any Christian or group of Christians have had certain teachings on things to where you can assume that they know certain things. In fact, I can't even assume that here at the Oasis. I can't get up on a Sunday or Wednesday and go, well, they already know that, so let's just go by. I can't do that. Because for years, in our local churches, there has been no systematic teaching of God's Word to where you can go from church to church and go, well, if they're in that church, then they're going to know that. That, That's going to be just a commonly held belief amongst Christians in all these local churches, and they're just going to know that. But in Paul's day, in Titus's day, that was true. Which is why they even use the phrase that we're going to see over later in verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. That was a phrase that not only meant that what's being said is reliable and faithful and trustworthy, but that it was a recognized belief in all the churches of God At that time, it was something that was assumed that Christians would have been taught and known, you see. So, Paul says, remind them. They already know these things, which again is a good reminder to us that many times as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not a matter of learning new stuff like so many want to do. Sometimes the most effective and essential thing for us as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be reminded about the things we already know. Because again, if it's not in the forefront of our mind, our thinking, our application of our daily Christian life, we may lay it aside and just not be mindful of it like we should. And Paul says, here are the seven things that I want you as Christians to be mindful of on the Isle of Crete so that you can live in such a way that your life as a follower of Jesus Christ will evidence and demonstrate the working and power of God in your life and your life will be attractive and appealing even to those that don't know God. First, be subject to rulers and authorities. Be respectful towards your civic leaders. 
regardless of who they are. Show respect as a follower of Jesus Christ. And be able to live under their authority, not because of who they are, but because of the position and place in society that they hold. Second, be obedient. Again, in the context of civic duty. Christians are to be the best citizens, if you will, in any country. And only when a government would, would force us to do something that would be against the Word of God, otherwise, we obey. We obey the laws of the land. We are to be law-abiding citizens. That is a way that we gain a platform, if you will, with those that don't know God. By not being troublemakers, but by being respectful and subject to the rulers, and by being obedient, being willing to follow those in authority over us. See, we've got to show them that, that I can follow I can, I can yield. I, I, I can be under other people's authority and I can navigate that because ultimately my authority is God, you see. And therefore, if I learn to understand and follow His authority in my life, I can then navigate any authority that I'm placed under. Then notice He says, be ready for every good work. The key there isn't so much the good work, it's being ready. It means that we as Christians have got to live in such a way that our lives aren't so chaotic and so out of control and so filled with other things that when the opportunity to do something good comes up, we can do it. We can jump in and do it rather than go, I, I got no margin in my life. See, we need to be good managers of our individual lives so that we can be ready when some opportunity comes up to be able to dive in and meet some needs. But so many Christians today live without any margin and without any, anything extra so that if something comes up, they don't have the time or the energy or the inclination to do it. And yet, it's a way that we can show those around us that... Our life with God is really the best way to go. Notice he says, they must not slander anyone. We should not insult others and malign others. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to edify, Ephesians 4.32. We must be peaceable. We must be peacemakers. We must not be contentious or argumentative in the way that we live our lives. We must be gentle. It means willing to yield, reasonable. And then, showing complete courtesy to all people. Literally, showing every consideration to all people. Being considerate of others at all times. Notice, in these seven duties, 
This exhortation to live under God's authority, it's all about how we relate to those in authority over us and to our fellow human beings around us every day. And Paul is saying, when you and I, if we live this way, we're going to stand out. (laughs) Because the world is not going to act like that. You see? Because the world doesn't know of living under an authority higher than themselves, if you will. And when they reject other authorities in their life, like even, you know, our, our policemen, anyone in authority over us, anyone who's trying to... If, if, if we reject that authority, then we're casting a bad light on Christ. Let the world be the ones who are lawless and who cannot live under authority or respect authority. But that should never be true of a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is the exhortation that Paul says, I want you to give this to Titus, to all the leadership and all the people in these churches around Crete. And and Crete and the, the... The historical background, if you will, on the Isle of Crete is very much like it was today. It was very anti-Christian. I mean, the Roman Empire was very anti-Christian. They looked, anybody in the Roman Empire looked for an excuse to be upset with Christians. They were certainly a pluralistic society like we are today. There is no absolute truth or one truth. Everybody's opinion is equally valuable I mean, pretty much like it is today. And yet Paul is saying, you live under the authority of God. And these are the exhortations. Very practical, if you will. Now, I know for many of us as Christians, you know, we look out, especially, I'm just going to say, at our country. A country that at one time, Obviously, the majority of people in this country at least had even a knowledge and a respect of of the Bible and of, of spiritual principles. But obviously, that's long been gone. And and there was a some sense uh, of even certain decency and, and morality, and that's long gone. And so I get it. Just like on the Isle of Crete, we as followers of Jesus Christ could get pretty frustrated and even angry at the society and the way things are going and the way people are living to the point where we either totally disengage with our society and want nothing to do with it or we live every day, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, sort of in anger and and looking at all of them out there sort of as the enemy. And yet Paul says, I want you all to understand as followers of Jesus Christ the motivation to live under God's authority. He says, you may say, these people don't deserve for me to be kind to them. They don't deserve for me to treat them this way and treat them with respect. And you know what Paul's answer is to all of us as Christians? He said, yeah, you were like that one time too. You were like that at one time too. Notice what he says. For we too 
were once foolish, disobedient, misled, enslaved to various passions and desires, spending our lives in evil and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of His mercy through the washing of the new birth and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, if we say as Christians, those people don't deserve for me to act that way or treat them a certain way, he's going to come back to us and say, did you deserve the way God treated you? Did God wait until you were all nicey and all good and and had everything in your life right before God showed love and mercy and kindness to you? Paul said, no. In fact, he even said to the Romans in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not extend mercy to to us because we deserved it. God did not extend love to us because we deserved it. God did not extend kindness to us because we deserved it. We didn't. And so God calls upon his people to use his way of treating us as a motivation to treat those that don't deserve it either. And to extend mercy and love and kindness to them, even if they don't deserve it. Because that's the way God treated us. That's the way God treated us. That's a challenge, isn't it? And yet we forget the mercy and kindness and love of God. Sometimes as Christians, we've been Christians so long that we only navigate in that world after we became a Christian and we forget who we were before we came to Christ. And here's the thing that you and I also have to remember. If someone is not a Christian, if they don't have the Holy Spirit of God in them, then how can we expect them to act any different than the way they're acting? According to the Bible, as we're going to see in just a minute, the only way you and I can act the way we do is by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Well, if they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, then how can we expect them to be spiritual people and to look at things the way they do? They're not. They're lost. They need a Savior. And Paul is saying to those on Crete and saying to us even here in Chandler and Gilbert, we need to live in such a way that our lives begin to draw people to God. Showing them that even in this world that has rejected God, even in this godless, immoral world, we can rise above it all because we're going to live under God's authority And we're going to treat people right, even if they don't deserve it. And we're going to be respectful, and we're going to be kind, and we're going to show mercy, and we're going to be patient. Because what they really need is Jesus. And until they come to know Jesus, there's no chance of them ever acting any different, any more than there was a chance of us acting any different before we met Jesus. Which is why he goes on to tell us, in chapter 3, the means of living under God's authority is the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. 
we were renewed of the Holy Spirit whom God poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice a couple of things there. First of all, the Holy Spirit was poured out on us in our lives and in full measure, meaning we didn't just get part of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's incorrect for Christians to think that once I accepted Christ as my Savior, then somewhere else down the road, I I have to go through some kind of thing to be able to get more of the Holy Spirit in my life. No. The Bible teaches we get all of the Holy Spirit in full measure the moment we accept Christ. As I've shared with you before, it's not that we don't get all of God when we get saved, it's that God doesn't get all of us when we get saved. And our sanctification, if you will, becoming more like Jesus Christ is when we learn throughout our Christian life to yield more and more and more of our lives over to God and to His authority. That's how you grow as a Christian. Not by grabbing a hold of more of God, but letting God have more of us. In fact, let me share a verse with you that backs this up. Go back real quick, keep your finger there, and go back to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God, notice, just like the Holy Spirit, has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. As again, I've shared before, we don't have to ask God, God, give me more love so that I can be more loving. No. We don't have to ever pray that prayer or ask that. What I have to do is learn to be filled by the Spirit because the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. I just have to yield control of my life to the Holy Spirit. He's already in there. God's love has already been poured out to me through the Holy Spirit that lives within me. I just have to yield and give over control of my life to the Holy Spirit and I'll have all the love that I need to be able to love my brothers and sisters in Christ and those that don't know God and all all around me. And love God too. You see. And that's what Paul is telling Titus. That's the means. That how I can be merciful. How I can be kind. How I can be loving to those that don't deserve it. Even to those that are unkind and disrespectful towards me. Isn't that why Jesus could say to us, love your enemies? Pray for those who despitefully use you? How could He expect me to do that? Not in my own power and strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within me. When you and I learn to yield to the Holy Spirit, to give Him control over our lives, to let Him fill us, then we can do supernatural things that we could never do in our own power and strength. Because in our own power and strength, in, in just our human nature, I'm not, I'm not going to pray for them. I'm not going to love them in any way. I want to slap them, not pray for them. And that, that's the human reaction. And that's why God is saying, but I didn't call you to live on the same level that everybody else lives on. 
I called you to live at a higher level because you have the capacity and ability that we talked about on Sunday. Because we died with Christ, we have been raised with Christ, and now we have the life of Christ pulsating within us. We can do things beyond our own ability to do. Which is what Paul's saying. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 7, And so, since we have been justified by His grace, again, we didn't deserve it, we become heirs with the confident expectation of eternal life, the fulfillment of our eternal life. I mean, we already have eternal life, it just hasn't been totally fulfilled yet in all the promises that God has made concerning our eternal life. And then we come to verse 8. After we've seen tonight in this passage the exhortation to live under God's authority and the motivation to live under God's authority and the means of living under God's authority, we come to the realization of living under God's authority. This saying is trustworthy. Again, a phrase that was used in Paul's day to describe the common beliefs that people in local churches would know. And I want you to insist on such truths so that those who have placed their faith in God may be intent on engaging in good works. These things are good and beneficial for all people. Notice, again, he's not saying that we do good works in order to gain salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you already placed your faith in God. You're already saved. So it's not that we are saved by good works. As I said last week, we are saved to good works. Grace does not free us from doing good works. Grace frees us to do good works, you see. That's why, again, when you hear maybe even Christians say, oh, you know, you live by grace, that just means you can live however you want to. No. Total misunderstanding of grace. As we saw last week, grace trains us. Grace transforms us. The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ isn't the freedom to do what we want. It frees us to do what we ought and what God wants us to do. That's the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. You see. That's the message of the Bible. And so Paul is saying, you want to know the realization of living under God's authority? It is that after you have come to salvation by grace through faith, you live every day intentionally seeing what good you and I can do. I mean, look at that really key word, intent. In other words, there's got to be some intentionality to it. In fact, the word in the Greek language means give careful thought to. Some Christians just live sort of by the seat of their pants. And it's like, well, you know, if, if something just blows in my way, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's wrong. 
But God wants us to live a little bit differently. See, God wants us to live not reacting to things. He actually wants us to live very intentionally. He wants us actually to plan on doing something good. He wants us to be able to sit down a few minutes each day or each week and be able to think about, how can I bless somebody? And God, who do you want me to bless? And what would be the best way to bless them? How could I do something that would profit and benefit them? That's what he's saying. And Paul's saying when you and I as Christians live that way, we are showing the realization of living under the authority of God. I mean, it really, in my opinion, it doesn't take a long, long time to just sit down for a few moments even each day, take a couple of moments and spend some time in prayer and spend some time just with you and God and begin to say even to God, God, is there somebody that I know or somebody in my life that you want me to bless? Somebody that you want me to do something good for? Some encouraging thing that I can do for them? And what is it, God? Because notice he goes on to say, I want these things to be beneficial and good for all people. So again, it's not just to the brothers and sisters in Christ. It can be to anybody. But obviously, brothers and sisters in Christ should be a priority. Because Galatians 6.10 says this. As we therefore have opportunity, let's do good unto all people, but especially those of the household of faith. In other words... God doesn't want to see us bypass our own brothers and sisters in Christ who we may be able to do something good for and always go beyond them to those that don't know God first. God says, I want to see both. But I especially want you to concentrate on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is there something that you could do for them? Some way you could bless them. Some good work you could do for them. And we've got to give some thought to it. Why? Because if we don't give thought to it, it might not be the most profitable or beneficial. Sometimes the things that we think we're doing good for others turns out to be something that really wasn't as profitable or beneficial for them as maybe we thought. So that's why we need to give it thought and that's why we might even need to ask God for wisdom and God, what would be the best way to help this person or encourage them in some way? Because like a lot of instances we may see, we may end up sort of enabling the person to continue to sort of live in a, in, a, in a bad way rather than actually helping them to maybe bring them out and live a better way, if you will. And that's why we need to give careful thought even to the good that we do. And that's why even we go back to the very beginning, that's why we need to be ready to do every good work. There needs to be a, a readiness and, and, a, and an ability to where, again, there's enough margin in my life that I literally can look up and look around and see, who can I bless? Who can I help? Who can I do something good for today? I'll leave you with this. One of the greatest examples of this is all the way back in the book of Genesis. I think it's chapter 18, verse 1, where Abraham, who was actually very wealthy and had a lot of service and everything, he could have... He could have shoved it off on somebody else, if you will. The Bible says that Abraham was literally sitting in the door of his tent, 
at the heat of the day. Now, again, if you know anything about that climate like you would here, you wouldn't want to be sitting at the door of the tent. You'd want to be crawling as far back into the shade and cool as possible. Why was Abraham at the door of his tent at the heat of the day? Because he was out there looking. Even Abraham was like, hmm, I want to see, is there something that I could be doing to help somebody? And of course, that's the story where I believe the angel of the Lord and some other angelic visitors come to actually visit Abraham and Sarah at this point. And he fixes them a meal and all of that. It's a, it's a wonderful story, but it all starts out because Abraham was sitting at the door of his tent at the heat of the day. He was ready to do a good work. He was intent on engaging in good works that were profitable and beneficial to others. And when you and I are able to live that way every day, every week, every month, every year, we are showing the realization that we are living under the authority of God. Why? Because we're more interested in looking out for others and seeking others' best interests than we are concerned about ourselves all the time. In other words, it's a way of learning to get our eyes always off of us and to get them on to somebody else. And that's always the struggle, isn't it? That even as followers of Jesus Christ, we can get pretty self-absorbed and self-centered and focused on ourselves, and we've got to learn under the authority of God to get our eyes off of us all the time and to get our eyes up and out and begin to look out at others because there's so many around us, just right around us. We don't have to look far. That could use prayer, could use an encouraging word, could use a visit, could use a phone call, could use an invitation to go out to eat and just spend some time together. I mean, again, it's enormous. The ministry that we could have every day, you see, if we are living under the authority of God. And again, I'll close with this. All of these things that we talked about tonight go back to the very theme of the letter. That if those followers of Jesus Christ on the Isle of Crete were to live that way, then they could begin to live in such a way that those people that maybe hated them and disrespected them and maligned them and abused them and everything some of them might actually become fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and part of the church because they lived differently. They didn't live the way everyone else in the world lived. And that's the life that God calls us to. Remember, when you and I learn to live under God's authority, we then can become equipped to live under any authority, no matter what that authority is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time tonight together, this time in your word, this time of worship tonight. And we pray, God, that each and every one of us would continue or learn to live under your authority. May your person not rest lightly or inconsequentially upon our church and upon our individual lives as followers of Jesus Christ. May what you say 
May your desires, your will, your expectations weigh heavily upon us. May they mean something to us. May they matter to us more than anything else. May we want and desire to please you, God, more than anybody or anything in our lives. So that, again, we can adorn the doctrine of God in everything. God, thank you for this great study in the book of Titus. Give us one last great week as we finish out next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I'll whet your appetite for next week. I hope you'll come back. Next week, we're going to talk about how to help Christians be more fruitful. Maybe that'll help you. Maybe you can help someone else. I hope you'll come out as we finish out the book of Titus. God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight.